Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by a very special guest today. He is Trevor Sikama at Tampa Bay Trey, covering the NFL and the NFL Draft for PFF. Also, co-host of the NFL Stock Exchange, which if you guys aren't listening to, it is my personal favorite draft program. Uh, Trevor's been doing ter- terrific work over there with Connor Rogers. Trevor, haven't had you back on in a little bit. We were talking before the show, but uh, welcome back. And how are you? I appreciate it, Kevin. I- I'm doing great, man. I- like we were saying before the show, it's almost like uh, this is the yearly check-in that you and I get to have <laughs> when it comes to content. So uh, it always means that the draft is right around the corner. And I'm very excited, man. We've got a, a lot of things to talk about. Falcons are in a really great spot. So that's good. Yeah, so so you're not on the football outsiders train of you know D minus for the Falcons off season. No, no, <laughs> D minus, no. I don't know if you saw that. It's been it's been making the rounds of Falcons Twitter uh, pretty much every day. But uh. oh no, I I would have to. I gotta go, I gotta go read up on that to see how we got to a D minus because I absolutely would not give him a D minus. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll get into it. I, I you know I I tend to think it's a lot of sour grapes about the Falcons not going after Lamar, which is. You know, a very hot topic, uh, and and we'll definitely get into quarterback and things like that, I'm sure, over the course of this program. But, uh, yeah, uh, Falcons have been very busy first offseason, and uh, it feels like forever that they've actually been able to spend any money. Um, Came into the offseason with the second most cap space in the NFL, over $66 and they've gone on a spending spree. Uh, I know you still follow the NFC South closely as a as a Buccaneers fan. So what what do you think about the uh, the Falcons free agency so far? Yeah, I, again, I, I I think it's been really nice. Certainly they brought back two pillars of their offensive line in Chris Lynch and Caleb and Gary. They gave them a lot of money, which is good. I, I mean, I think that they should have, right? Arthur Smith, I feel like the bread and butter of the team is always going to be having a really strong rushing game. It feels like that's really where they're going to build. Um a lot of their offensive success. Now, I know some people are like, hey, we wish they did pass the ball more. I know there's the Kyle Pitts talk that everybody has been <laughs> um, referencing of, of getting him more involved in the offense. But I, I think it's going to come. Arthur Smith was always going to be somebody who you wanted to establish things on the ground first before you were able to get into that aerial attack. And so I think that from that perspective, you know, bringing back those guys along the offensive line, um, I thought it was a good investment. Uh, making the splashes that they did uh, on the defense, especially with Jesse Bates. Like I, I really like the Jesse Bates addition. David Onyemata is a really good defensive uh, player. And then most recently, getting Calais Campbell in there as well. I think that adds some good experienced beef on the interior, which is good. I, you know, When you go into the NFL draft, you want to make it so a lot of your roster weaknesses or holes that you had going into the year – you fill those one way or another, whether it's with a major signing, like a superstar, or even just a veteran, somebody to come in, a new face on the roster, so you're not so desperate whenever your name does come up on the draft to go, oh, man, yes, this guy's fall to it. Like, for example, Jalen Carter is the perfect example in this year's draft, right? Like, if, if Jalen Carter makes it all the way down to number eight, the Falcons don't want to be in a position where they say, we'd love to pick Jalen Carter but we don't have a corner. We have no corners or we have no safeties or we have no whatever it is to say like, Oh, we can't make that play there. No team wants that. I think the desire for everyone during free agency is to allow yourself to get into best player available mode, wherever it is that you were drafting. And honestly, I felt as though the Falcons did that in a lot of ways. Yeah, of course. I think corner could still be an upgrade for them that they could look into, but adding Jesse base in the secondary was good. Um, I mentioned Onyemata, I mentioned Calais Campbell, the guys along the offensive line solidifying all those things. I thought the Falcons did a nice job of maintaining the parts of the roster that they wanted to keep 
keeping their strengths there, making them happy, and then adding a little bit of extra juice in some different areas. So uh, I think it'll make it for a fascinating discussion of what you could do at number eight and beyond. Oh, yeah. I mean, it it really a lot of I've been getting a lot of tweets of like, oh, so does this take things off the board? And it's like, no, no, I think it adds things to the board at eight. Sure. Like it, it adds positions to to the quiver like that you can consider. And we know that that Terry Fontenot in particular has been very vocal about his belief in filling needs in free agency and addressing BPA in the draft, like just getting the player you think is the best, particularly early on. And he hasn't really had the, the salary cap muscle to, to go forward and, and do a lot of work in free agency in years past. I mean, I think the Falcons have done an admirable job. I mean, you look at last year, the cheapest defense in the NFL in terms of money spent, uh, they were not the worst. They were far from the worst uh, defense. I think they were in the low twenties, uh, which Still not great, but considering you know the money spent, that's not that that's an overperformance, and still went seven and ten, the most dead cap in NFL history. So he's been a savvy spender, and this year he actually got a chance to take some big swings, and he didn't really go off the deep end and go crazy with it like we've seen some teams do when they finally get a windfall of cash, just go out and and just spend like crazy. I think they were really patient. With the Caleb McGarry signing in particular, they didn't they didn't get to it before free agency started. They were willing to let him test the market, and he ends up signing for just eleven and a half million per year. Which, for folks that weren't paying attention, Spotrac had him valued at seventeen point seven, and the 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 uh, the fifth year option would have been more, and the franchise tag, of course, would have been eighteen point two. So. I don't know if his market wasn't where he thought it was going to be or if the Falcons just convinced him to take less money. We still don't really have any details on that, but that's a, a terrific value for McGarry, who is an old, was an older rookie. I mean, he's going to be, I think, 28 this year. So, I mean, not a huge deal, but something to consider when you're handing out big contracts. And, you know, mm-hmm. not the best pass protector. He has improved to be about average to slightly above average in the last two years, but one of the best run blocking tackles in the NFL. We know the Falcons care about that, of course, more than just about any other team. So that one was huge. And you mentioned, of course, Bates and on Yamada and the Clayus Campbell signing to me speaks more to what, how well they, they sell this team and what the sort of vibes around this team are among players that you convinced Clayus Campbell, not only to sign in Atlanta, which I think is a stroke of, complete negotiating genius to begin with, but you convinced him to sign before he visited the Jets or Bills. Like, he canceled his visits. Um, and that is just wild to me. Uh, you know, Arthur Blank, we know he's he's got the silver tongue, but apparently it was a 40-minute call with the owner that, that sold Campbell on coming to Atlanta, and I think that should fill all fans with hope that someone like Campbell, who's entering his age 37 season, probably only going to play one to two more years, was willing to spend one of his final seasons of his legacy in Atlanta, which a lot of people would probably not have guessed, uh, certainly myself among them. But they have, I think, raised the floor of the roster so much that they are a lot more flexible mm-hmm. going into the draft. And they still have money. I think they are probably going to have roughly... We, we don't know how much Campbell signed for at this point, and it's a one-year deal, so they can't really spread it out. But probably at least $15 million left in cap space after all these moves they could still make additional moves after the draft uh you know make some trades if they wanted to there, there's still flexibility there and uh they're in a really good spot going into the draft like you said uh to be able to basically take anyone they want mm-hmm. no i i agree i think that uh you make a really great point uh, about campbell um you know with him 
you figure having one year, maybe two left in his career, um, choosing to go to Atlanta does speak to the culture that they have there and, and what Terry Fawn know and, and Arthur Blank and, and Arthur Smith are, are building there and how they could sell the team. And I think that also just means that they're going in the right direction, right? Because even, okay, maybe the Calais Campbell signing it, itself isn't going to be the difference between this team making the playoffs and not, or making a, a, a run at a Super Bowl or not. But I do think it's a really good sign because the teams that win Super Bowls have really great balances of both young and old talent. And I know everybody loves to talk about the drafted talent, right? The younger guys, get them in the building. You can have them for longer. You know, whether you know, it's first contract, second contract, whatever it is, that should be the meat and cheese, if you will, of your roster. You should always build through the draft. But the teams that win are the teams that also know how to sprinkle in those big money contracts to get those guys who are really talented to come in and fill some of those roster holes and um, give them some, some extra juice in a lot of different areas to where when you are in a winning window, you can combine good signings with good draft picks. And yeah, it, it, maybe Calais Campbell isn't the biggest difference for the Falcons as they currently stand, but I do think that it does, as you mentioned, signal that they're going in the right direction because they were able to bring a guy like that in. Yeah, no, you're. I. One of the things, the first thing that the Falcons said about Jesse Bates publicly, obviously great safety, but leadership qualities. We think he's going to be the backbone of our secondary in terms of his veteran leadership and what he brings. The same thing applies to Campbell. The same thing applies to a lot of these guys they brought in. And, and Fontenot's always emphasized they want the right makeup. And that isn't just athleticism, on-field talent. It also takes into account the leadership, what they bring to the locker room, and all those things. And not everybody on your team has to be a rah-rah leader. You know, you look at somebody like a Grady Jarrett, more sure. of an understated guy. But when he speaks, everyone listens, you know. And and he, and he and Campbell, definitely a little bit more of a fire fired-up guy out there. Um, and, like, what he brings to the table on the field, I think, is pretty much unprecedented for a player of his age. I mean, still five and a half sacks, 35 pressures, uh, and a bunch of tackles for loss last year for Baltimore, which is almost, I mean, I I can't believe that. Um, So not like elite Calais Campbell play from a couple years ago, but still a good starter. Um, And just as a run defender, still one of the NFL's best, like big end five techs. And Falcons were really lacking that particularly. So um, I think it definitely boosts their run defense in a big way, and anything they get as a pass rusher is just a nice cherry on top. But um, you mentioned like the the way that the Falcons are sort of building this thing through the draft. They've been very diligent in holding on to their picks. They they have had multiple opportunities to make you know trade ups. They've frequently been linked to signing or trading for big quarterbacks or whatever. And the Falcons thus far have basically held on or accumulated additional day two picks. Uh, they're still getting picks from the Julio Jones trade. They have a fourth from that this year. They ended up moving Calvin Ridley for a fifth rounder this year. And as much, it could be as much as a second rounder next year. And now that he's wearing number zero, I, I know for sure that they're going to get that second rounder because he's going to the hall of fame. It's um, true. This is true. <laughs> so um, it's been a very like slow and steady process for the Falcons. And this sort of dovetails into the quarterback conversation as well, because the Falcons aren't doing this the way a lot of teams are. They chose to pass on Justin Fields two years ago at four, which was very controversial for me as well. Um, right. They did not pursue a quarterback highly last year, uh, other than the Deshaun Watson thing, which, of course, 
for those of us in the Atlanta media, we know it was sort of an outlier that was pushed by the owner and his personal relationship with Watson. And I think that has thrown a lot of people off as to why they weren't in on Lamar this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may have another opportunity to add a big time quarterback this year, obviously with Lamar getting the unrestricted uh, tag non-exclusive tag, uh, and potentially quarterbacks being available at eight. You know, someone could fall. I know on NFL Stock Exchange on your your most recent draft with the uh, the bootleg football guys, I think was who it was, uh, you had the Falcons mm-hmm. trading up for, for A-Rod, which is fun. Uh, it's not something I've seen before, so that was, that was interesting to hear about. Um, but they have now named Desmond Ritter officially the starter, and then you also have Taylor Heineke getting signed. Many people thought to compete, and he just comes out and says, no, I'm, I'm ready to be the backup. So sort of an unusual amount of commitment, I personally think, to a third-round rookie with only four starts under his belt from this regime who seem to have basically thrown their entire support behind Desmond Ritter, which I think has not only irked the national media <laughs> because they were expecting the Falcons to be involved for Lamar, but it, it raises a lot of questions about, you know, what is the ceiling for this team with Ritter? Can he actually be a good starter. And I'm just curious your thoughts on how they've sort of handled the quarterback position in particular. Yeah. So uh, I'll say this Ritter was my QB one last year. I, mm-hmm. I, I liked Ritter. Now that's not to say I thought he was like top five overall right, type right. of a quarterback, but he was my favorite of the bunch. So I liked Ritter a decent amount going into last year. I, I liked, they gave him a chance towards the end of the season. I felt like they should have probably gone yeah. to him a little bit sooner. Yeah. Um, you know, especially look, <laughs> what coaches and GMs and owners say is kind of like this big PR game. Right. And <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll say things and they'll be like, well, well, you should, you should take my word at face value. And it's like, okay, well you're contradicting yourself a little bit here. So I, I, I don't know what you want from me. And then sometimes I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying the Falcons specifically, but I'm just saying that I've seen this happen around the NFL. Sometimes like coaches and GMs, they'll get really annoyed be like, Oh, why don't you believe me? It's like, well, because you contradicted yourself. What do you, what do you mean? So, <laughs> right, right. And, I, and I don't want to go like that far because it yeah. is a game and they're trying to yeah. play it and all that. But you know, you, cause, cause what did, what did Arthur Smith say? Didn't he say that? Yeah, they were pretty, they would have been comfortable going to Ritter early on. Didn't, I mean, didn't they, didn't they say something yeah. like that? Maybe not Basically. like at the very beginning, but they said they were comfortable with him. And if that's the case, like, all right, well, why didn't you play him sooner? But it was it right. like, and there's there's a lot of things that go into it, and there's a lot of politics that go into football that I think people unfortunately don't realize. But all of that to say, I'm kind of getting derailed here. I like Ritter. I feel as though the Falcons should have always went into this the same way the Washington Commanders are with Sam Howe. Yes, we are prepared for him to be our starter. We think that he could be our starting quarterback in week one. You don't have to say anything more than that. You can be honest. Yeah, and, and maybe they don't want to be honest, right? Maybe they're saying this about Ritter simply to get people to stop talking about Lamar Jackson. Because that's what I think. That's ultimately what I think. Because if, let's say, Anthony Richardson falls to number eight. Somehow he falls to number eight. They're probably going to take him. Or at least they, they they should, right? As long as everything Consider checks out. It, if it, at least. The, yeah. Right. If the interview goes well and all that kinds of stuff. But they're talking as if it's like, ah, no, Ritter's the guy. Ritter's 100% the guy. And I just, for as much as even I liked Ritter's outlook, he doesn't necessarily deserve to have that lock. Now, 
That's not to say that he can't earn it. You know, that's not to say you don't give him the chance to be a starting quarterback, but he hasn't necessarily done anything to say like, yeah, he's our starting quarterback hundred percent. So I really do believe that they're coming out and talking about Ritter as highly as they are, not because they don't think he could be good. I think that they believe that he could be good, but I genuinely believe that it's a Lamar Jackson thing that they're coming out and saying this to get people to stop talking about Lamar to Atlanta, because I'll be honest, this is everybody's favorite spot, right? Yeah, when, yeah. when when people go on radio shows or write articles or whatever, five favorite landing spots for Lamar Jackson, Atlanta is always at the top of the list or near the top of the list because people think this connection is good. And people also look at the fact that they were in on Deshaun Watson last year. And you mentioned the connection that he has with Arthur Blank, and that's why I think that it's funny <laughs> is the word that I will use that yes. Arthur Blank says, well, the Lamar Jackson situation is different. Is right. it? Is it different in... It's good it's far It's far better than Lamar right. Jackson's I was, situation. I was going to say, uh, it might yeah. be different, but not yeah. necessarily in a good way for Not for the, the right reasons. Yeah. So, no, 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 I, uh, I, no argument from me on that one. Yeah. That's why I believe that they're probably saying all this to get people to stop talking about Lamar to the Falcons because they're clearly not in on it for whatever reason, whether it's the money, whether it's Lamar, whatever. They're not in on it. I also do think maybe there's a little bit of this that they're – committing very hard to Ritter and trying to make this public because if if they're thinking about making calls to trade up to go get a quarterback, the more public you are about how in you are on your guy, maybe the less desperate some other teams around you ahead or behind you in the draft order are to move up and potentially get. Like if they're doing their intel and they're like, all right, well, Atlanta's not in on a quarterback, so we don't really have to worry about them. And we know these other two teams won't pay the price to go up there. So we can take our time a little bit this with this one. We can negotiate with the uh, with the Cardinals, whatever. And then all of a sudden the Falcons, full pun intended, swoop in and say, we'll give you this for the deal. And then all of a sudden it gets done. Then perhaps publicly being in on Ritter is to their advantage if they're going to go up and get a different quarterback. So teams can change their mind. Teams can contradict themselves all the time, but that's just kind of what it is here at this point in the NFL offseason. And you really don't know how genuine somebody is with what they're saying until we get to what July, August, and we actually get to see what that training camp team looks like. Yeah, no, it's hundred percent true. And you can never discount smoke screens or gamesmanship or any of that sort of thing with, this especially this time of year it's it's rampant so right, you right. can never never say never uh with the nfl draft never think that you know 100 percent what people are doing um but the falcons are certainly doing the full court press including the owner getting out and talking up ritter uh to try to convince everyone that no no he is our starter that's what we're doing and i also wonder if like Taylor Heineke probably said a little more than he should have in his opening conference, basically revealing that he wasn't even going to be competing for the starting job, uh, mm. that they were like, oh, okay, well, the cat's out of the bag. Might as well just say it at this point. Um, I wonder if that prompted them to, to be a little bit more vocal about it, but I think you're onto something too about like, okay, stop with the Lamar stuff. Like we've, we've leaked it that we're not interested. You're still talking about right. it. Let's, let's really put a damper on it with basically everyone saying we're not in. doesn't mean that it still can't happen, you know? We don't really know what's going to go on with the Lamar thing. Uh, I mean, the, the tag could still be rescinded for all we know. So, like, it, it's it's going to be a wild situation with Lamar. I hope that he's happy at the end of it. Uh, but, yeah, we're, we're still just getting started there. But at eight, which is what everyone's interested in, um, quarterback, not really something that a lot of fans are thinking. Myself included, I, I 
I believe that they're genuine to an extent with Ritter that they're not planning to target a quarterback in this draft. That doesn't mean that they absolutely wouldn't take one. I don't think a trade-up is going to happen. I, I Like what I said earlier, they've really valued holding on to their day two picks so far. So any trade-up into the top five is going to probably take a future first. Um, and if they're not interested in trading those picks for Lamar Jackson, I can't see them doing it for Anthony Richardson as much as I love Anthony Richardson. When I, th- I think he is a, a really underrated prospect. People sort of, I think, have the wrong impression about where he is as a player. Like, oh, he's two or three years away. No, he's not that far. Um, Don't, you know, you're a Florida fan, so I'm sure you know more than than most about the situation that he's been in. And, you know, it hasn't necessarily been the most ideal for quarterback growth. But um, other than quarterback, because I do think the one that they would be really tempted by would be Anthony Richardson. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think about the, the other options? I know... Obviously, Christian Gonzalez has been high up in terms of that's probably where I would be putting my money if I was a betting man uh, based on who I think is going to be there. Jalen Carter, if he does fall, sort of think that that's going to rebound and he's going to be going in the top five once again by the time we get back to the draft. But um, lots of potential names there. You mentioned the Nolan Smith buzz as well, which does seem to be legitimate. Um, I know that surprises a lot of people. But uh, yeah, where where are your thoughts sort of on on pick eight for the Falcons at this point? Yeah, I still think it's edge pass rusher or corner that are the areas that they're going to attack in this one. And and they're at a good spot at number eight, I think, to get one, at least with a lot of upside, right? I think Will Anderson is the dream. Um, He's not going to get to eight. So if they want Will Anderson, they probably have to trade up to number three to go get him. That's just the way that I look at it. But, you know, he'd be perfect in this system as a, as a uh, stand-up outside linebacker type. So I think that he's got to be number one on their big board. But after that, I think that they'll certainly be in on Tyree Wilson as well, the uh, giant edge defender from Texas a- – or not Texas A&M, was Texas A&M. Yeah. They transferred over to uh, to Texas Tech. So I think they'll be on, on him. Um, Lucas Van Ness as well. I know people may think that number eight's a little bit early for Van Ness. I, I would also agree that I think eight's early for Van Ness. But – He's really athletically gifted, um, was an interior defensive line guy, switched over to the edge, was never really a consistent starter for Iowa. But, man, some of his highs and some of his mm-hmm. flash plays are very, very nice. So if you're getting a lot of that more regularly at the NFL level, I think you are getting a good football player, even though I do think a top 10 selection for him would be rich for my blood. But then you go over a corner, shoot, pick whoever you want. It's a fantastic yeah. choice, right? Yeah. I mean, Christian Gonzalez – just unbelievable fluidity and, and and body movement for a player who is six foot two and over two hundred pounds. I mean, he he just got the length, the size, the speed, the agility, the flexibility, everything. I mean, he may not have the natural ball skills, but heck, man, it, even if you're just getting lucky sometimes, if you will, and he's covering a guy so well, the ball just falls into his lap. I think you're going to get a lot of that. Devon Witherspoon's one of my favorite prospects that I have watched this draft cycle. He's the cornerback from Illinois this past year in press coverage. I mean, nobody beat him. He got the better of every single matchup that he faced all year long. He is as feisty as they come. He'll hit you in support in the run game. Um, I, I I think that he is going to be high on everybody's list. Only thing is, he's a little bit small. You know, he's below yeah. 185 pounds, so he's about six feet tall. So a little bit small for a corner. But if you're going to be small anywhere, it's being small a corner, I think, is the way to do it, especially if you got good athleticism like he does. Joy Porter Jr., legacy name. Everybody knows his dad, the former Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker. But, man. This dude, really smart football player. You can tell that he's grew up around the game. 
He's got some of the longest arms that we've seen in combine history. 34-inch arms is wild. I mean, he is a true man coverage, press corner kind of a player who's going to play up towards the line of scrimmage. But he also does play some, uh, some off coverage. So I don't want to I don't want to say that he's exclusively that. But if you're going to draft him, you're probably going to draft him because he's tall, because he's got the long arms. He's going to be able to get up in wide receivers' faces. He's going to be able to play press coverage for you. But uh, the other one that I'll throw in the mix, Deontay Banks, right? Eight overall would be pretty high for Banks compared to where we see him in mock drafts. But – He's got really good film. He's one of the best cover players in the class. He's a fantastic press man corner. He'll beat you up at the line of scrimmage. And as we saw at this past combine, he is a freak athletically. He's yeah. got so many athletic gifts. And I think that a lot of people have just seen Deontay Banks be this back end of the first round corner. And now they go, oh, okay, he had a good combine. We'll move him up a little bit. You know, maybe he'll get picked in like the low 20s. If teams believe he's the second best corner in the class, he could be a top 12 pick, right? Yeah. And some people might go, whoa, he went really high. But I, I, that's just how good this corner class is. So I, that was a lot of prospects. That was a lot to throw no, at you. But when, when when I look at number eight, that's those are the places my mind goes to for what I think the Falcons are going to prioritize and some players that would definitely make sense for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like – I think Christian Gonzalez – probably gonna end up corner one you know i think people can nitpick i think his, so too yeah because he, he's not quite as far along as like devon witherspoon is and not quite as specialized as like joey porter jr you know not but prototypical size outstanding athleticism he's gonna be the one i think that everyone is like we need to get this guy first um but i would not be at all upset with devon witherspoon at eight i think he's well worth it you know i think we're still sort of in process about what are they going to do now that they have a new defensive coordinator in Ryan Nielsen? Is he going to run the Saints scheme? It does. It sounds like he's going to run something like it, but much more multiple up front um, based on the comments that we've heard so far because the Falcons, of course, built this for Dean Pease, who retired, um, to be a lot of 3-4 personnel up front with some 4-3 stuff mixed in. You know, how much does that matter in the NFL these days is kind of a, you know, kind of a thing. So I'm not saying well, they can't do whatever it, but it matters a little bit <laughs> it does it does it does kind of matter because even though a lot of teams want to be multiple no matter what i think when you look at the draft you got to look at players that they already have on the roster so mm-hmm. yeah you want to be versatile but i'm i'm kind of looking at their roster right now arnold evicati all right 250 ish pounds um Caden Ellis, what's he at? 238. And I'm just going mm-hmm. off of our lads. So if these are not yeah, exact, yeah. Then, then I'm sorry. But um, Roy Anderson, 235, right? So these are guys who – who's now, who, who's the next guy on the roster? Who do they have? Uh, at Ogundeji. Edge? Ogundeji? Yeah, at Edge, they got, they got okay. Lorenzo Carter. 68. He's yeah. bigger. Yeah. Lorenzo Carter, Arnold Ebicati, D'Angelo Malone. Uh, Lorenzo Carter. Carter. Okay, so, he, so he's yeah. like 250. Okay. Yeah. So – They've got a couple of guys that are right around 250, and then they've got a handful of yeah, it's because D'Angelo Malone's lighter too. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's allegedly right around he's trying to bulk up to 250. That's what the reporting has been. But yeah, so it so you want to have guys to be able to be multiple on your defensive line. You want to give yourself the option to where, depending on who you're playing, depending on what their tendencies are, how you want to neutralize them, how you want to match up against them, you want to stay versatile. But if you are a team that's like, yeah, we're primarily going to play with three guys with their hand in the dirt, they're going to be two-gapping a lot, and we're going to have our edge rushers be more stand-up guys, okay, well, you already have two, three, or four guys who are about sub-240, so 
how much is that going to be a priority versus if they were going to say, okay, we want more guys who can have their hands in the dirt as an edge rusher. Then if you look at the roster and say, okay, well, we have three or four guys who are about 240. We need bigger edge rushers. We need guys who are there. Then all of a sudden, guys like Lucas, Lucas Van Ness, guys like Tyree Wilson, those become major priorities because if you primarily want to have four guys who can have their hand in the dirt, you got the three interior guys, and then you got another edge player who at least needs to be 255, 260 plus, and you just don't have a lot of those guys in the roster right now. So yeah, yeah. Yes, teams do like to have a variety of different players of shapes and sizes to be able to different play to play different fronts. But what your quote unquote base is might go into the kinds of players that you prioritize, especially with your picks at the top, depending on how you look at the roster and go, okay, we've got lighter guys. We need heavier guys or we've got heavier guys. We need lighter guys. So that does go into it. It's a little bit of a factor. It is, yeah, and I, I think you're onto something. Certainly, with they've got Carter, Ebicady, and Malone, who are all basically roster locks that are all sort of that more prototypical three-four outside linebacker archetype. Mm-hmm. Um, they did sign like Amani Bledsoe, who's sort of that inside-outside guy that's bigger, um, but he's probably not someone you're thinking that's going to really have a chance to start. And then Clay's Campbell, like we were saying off the top, really good five-tech base end that's probably going to play inside in passing situations. So maybe they feel like Campbell can be their big end for for those packages. Um, But I agree with you. I I do think they're going to lean more towards that. Like maybe a Tuli Tupulatu if it's in the second round or, uh, you know, Adebuare if he happens to still be around that late in the second round. Um, Like a bigger type of guy that maybe can kick inside because Nielsen and in New Orleans, you know, obviously Cam Jordan, uh, Marcus Davenport, both of those bigger types of edge. And Calais Campbell coming in does help probably with the run defending aspect of that, that they have somebody that they feel comfortable going out there at five tech. But other than Campbell, who you're not really expecting to probably play more than 50% of the snaps and probably only going to be here for a year, I think getting an, a guy like that who can be their future Cam Jordan type is probably high up the list. But like I was saying, maybe it's the second round that they target it because this is a deep edge class. And you, like you were saying with Van Ness, flashes are outstanding. Do they value him enough to go there at eight? Not mm-hmm. sure. Maybe the corner is where they end up going. And that's another spot where everything is going to be different because New Orleans defense, very different than the DMP's defense. And they hired an all new secondary staff uh, with Jerry Gray coming in. So we're probably going to see more man, um, still going to be multiple with the coverages, but I think there's going to be more of an emphasis on that man coverage. So what do they do there? And uh, with guys like Gonzalez, Porter, and Devon Witherspoon, all three of those guys would probably fit that system very well. So uh, that's why I lean more corner, but do have to bring up, of course, the 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 secret sauce pick for eight that that's really getting hyped uh, by some sections of the fan base. Uh, and that does fit this coaching staff sort of MO, which of course would be Bijan Robinson. This oh. staff, this staff does not care about positional value. We have seen it time and time again. They took a tight end at four. They took a mm-hmm. wide receiver at eight last year when they had mm-hmm. basically nothing on defense. And now we're back at eight and we've got another unicorn level offensive prospect in Bijan Robinson, who, you know, to his credit, I think does offer a lot in the passing game as well, more than most running backs do. Uh, and the Falcons do run the ball as much or more than any other team in the NFL. What do you think about that as a sort of dark horse candidate for this 
regime, which, who really has shown that they don't care too much about positional value at the top. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Bishop Robinson's a thousand yard rusher for this team year in and year out. But, um, you know, the argument for that is, well, so was Tyler Algier last year, right? right? And and they were in a running back rotation with a handful of different backs, and you still had a guy go over a thousand yards. And are you okay with the committee that you have? And I feel like they should be because this offense, especially behind that offensive line, you can get a lot of good production out of a lot of different backs. You don't need Bijan. You really don't. So if if he gets drafted by them. It, it will make them better. Like they will be a better team. They will have a, a, an incredibly talented football player. It's like what the San Francisco 49ers did with Christian McCaffrey. Did the trade objectively make the 49ers better? Yep. And if Brock Purdy didn't get hurt, maybe they play for the Super Bowl. Maybe they win the Super Bowl. Who knows? And I think that Christian McCaffrey would have played a decent role in that being the case because they were at the point where they were so solid on the rest of the team. They were championship caliber on both sides of the ball. They just needed something that could be an X factor for them, take them over the top. And that's when I think that type of investment in a running back can be worth it. Falcons aren't really there. Now, you could argue that Bijan is so good that when the rest of the roster catches up, he will still be there. And that's true. Carolina kind of had that thought when they drafted Christian McCaffrey, where they did similarly at number eight overall. And Carolina had some good stretches with McCaffrey, but never anything that was major and over the top. Would a different player have made a more diff- made a bigger difference? Who's to say? But that's that's my kind of thought process there. I wouldn't be taking Bijan at number eight if I'm the Falcons, simply because that offensive line is good enough to where you can have even the same running back room that you had last year come in and be successful the way that you want them to be successful. You don't need Bijan for that. Um, So that's kind of the way that I look at it is they've done such a good job prioritizing the trenches and getting the right guys in the trenches that you've almost given yourselves the luxury to where you don't have to pick a Bijan Robinson in the top 10. And you can find another guy, whether it's second round, third round, heck, even going into next year with the similar group that they had last year and still have success. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a very good argument against Bijan at eight. And I think that's sort of the crux of what a lot of people are saying. Uh, I think it's more realistic than some think because, again, they took a tight end at four. They do not care what sure. we think. They do not care right. what we think, you know. So, um, but yeah, Bijan is a fun player. So I'll never argue against taking blue chip talent or against taking players that are going to make the team really fun. Uh, but. I do think well, it's you not, and yeah. the thing is that like pe- people are always like, oh, if they took a running back, like that's the worst thing. You're you're st- if you're a fan of the team, you're still gonna cheer for him, right? He's still yeah. gonna pl- like play well. But if you take a step back from a team building perspective, would it be the most smart thing to do? I would argue no. I would argue that you would be better suited to invest that number eight overall pick either at a corner or at a pass rusher, depending on who might be on the board. Yeah. And speaking of that. Nolan Smith is another guy who's gotten a lot of buzz for the Falcons based on our conversation, you know, with what Mm -hmm. they have on the roster. It seems like he would just be sort of adding another guy, but maybe they think he can play some off ball or all those things. But what are you, I know you've heard the the buzz as well. So what do you think about the the realistic chance of that Nolan Smith pick happening? Yeah, I like Nolan Smith a lot. I think that it is 
it, there is a good chance that it happens that he would be the number eight overall pick. Now it all depends on kind of who's on the board, but I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this. I would put him in that tier one that I believe the Falcons have. Now, I don't know how many other players are in tier one. Like, I don't know if Christian Gonzalez and Devon Witherspoon and Jalen Carter and Will Anderson and Lucas Van Ness and Tyree Wilson uh, and Joey Porter Jr. I don't know how big that tier one is, but I think Nolan's missing it because not only is he just such a gravitating personality when you talk to him, he is so determined to be the best football player he possibly can be. He is so willing to do the dirty work of run defense and taking up extra blocks and making the extra hit or taking the extra blocks so the guy behind him can go get the tackle. He is so committed to that, but also he is unbelievably athletic. He is so athletic, and we saw that at the Combine. He is just scratching the surface of what he could be as a pass rusher. The thing is, he's a ways away, right? I I mean, I think best-case scenario, you're not getting – a double-digit sack player out of Nolan Smith. Best-case scenario, year two. But more realistic, probably year three. Maybe second half of year two, he looks really great. And then year three, he really takes off. But you got to be honest, that's where we are. And it's very similar to how Trayvon Walker came into the league last year. Trayvon Walker, extremely athletic. Alien-like athletic gifts, if you will. But he was never a pass rusher in college. And Nolan Smith spoke to that a little bit more this year. I actually got to chat with him one-on-one not too long ago. And he said, he he was like, yeah, at Georgia, when you have your hand in the dirt, when you're on the defensive line, he's like, your job is to keep the linebackers clean and then they go make the plays, essentially. He's like, you're you're two-gapping. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're on the defensive line, you're two-gapping. So he never really had the opportunity to grow into being the pass rusher that has his athletic ability hints that he can be at. So that would just be it would be a time investment it would be a little bit of an investment you're not getting a 10 sack guy in his rookie season it might be a slow burn for him but you're hoping that it pays off at some point i will say this too i'm sure every atlanta falcons fan knows this by now but i have to say it again when terry fontenot was at the podium at the combine you know he did give a little bit of note he said hey when we make our big board if there's a player from the state of georgia we put a little peach icon next to their name And that doesn't mean more than the scouting report does. It doesn't mean more than the alignment on the big board, but it's a little thing that we keep note of because we like the players from Georgia. And that's not just bias. He's got good reason. Good football players come from the state of Georgia. It's one of the best high school football um, states in the country. And so for those guys to grow up and obviously for Nolan Smith to then go to the University of Georgia and stay at home in the state, um, that does mean something to them. And so I think that when they look at his scouting report, they do so very favorably, not just because of how they evaluate him as a player, but also who he is as a person and where he comes from. So I think he checks all those boxes for him, and that's why I really do think that he is in that first tier of guys that they would select at number eight. Yeah, I think fans were shocked when I first started saying, like, hey, this this buzz is real. Uh, but I think they don't I think fans need to understand that the NFL is higher on Nolan Smith than sort of the overall draft community seems to be. I think he seems to be going in the second round of a lot of mocks still. No. And I think no, the NFL views him as like top twenty, top twenty five. So um it's gonna take a little bit for that to catch up, but I think by the time we actually get to the draft it'll be caught up. But um you know, what I was hearing is they also think he can play some off ball. They like, they think he has high upside in coverage. And obviously his run defending is sort of uncanny 
Like, mm-hmm. I've never seen a player of his size defend the run as well as he does. Uh, so yep. he's going to give you starting ability and he's going to play well. But as a pass rusher, it's going to be wait and see. And look, his natural athletic gifts, maybe you line him up in the A-gap and tell him to blitz, you know, and he could still get production that way. But as a pure edge rusher, I think he's not going to fill that role right away. Uh, but I think, like you said, and Terry Fontenot has made this clear, it's about the makeup of the guy, especially when you're taking someone in the top 10. Yeah, and I 100%. think you could make you could make the argument that Nolan Smith is you know, number one on most people's boards in terms of terms of his football character and just his sort of aura uh, on the football field. And that's an underrated thing that goes into draft eval (laughs) is just how much teams love uh, guys that eat, sleep, breathe, love the game to that extent. And it gives you a lot of confidence as an evaluator that, look, maybe this guy won't hit his ceiling, but it won't be because he didn't work his ass off. So, uh, yes, yes, (laughs) yes. So, yeah, well, we, we're over 40 minutes, so I'll let you off the hook here soon. But do you have any other prospects, any other players uh, for the Falcons at, at any point in the draft that you're sort of uh, interested in seeing that pairing? Um, I, I mean, I think they'd love Brian Branch. Yeah. I don't think he, they're not really in a sweet spot for him anymore. Like, I don't think Branch yeah. lasts all the way until the second round where they pick. And I don't think that they're going to take him at number eight. I felt like Branch could have been a sleeper choice at number eight if he would have tested better at the combine. But slower and less explosive than people thought. So I don't know. I I don't think he's going to go number eight when it comes to, I guess, top of the second round, you know, if they, if they end up going corner at number eight and if BJ Ojolari is there at 44, love that pick for him. I love Tui Tui Pelotu, who you were talking about. If they want a heavier edge rusher, I think they're going to be in on a guy like Derek Hall from Auburn. A guy like Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame, I think they're going to be in on both of those guys. I probably would have thrown Keon White in there from Georgia Tech at the top of the second round, but I don't know if they'd prioritize him given the fact that they now have Garrett or Grady Jarrett, Anyamata, and Calais Campbell. Maybe they still will. Maybe they'll still be like, oh, you know, two of those guys are veteran guys. Let's get Keon White in here. So maybe they'll be in on them. But um, yeah, I, I think that that's that's. Those are the guys that really stand out to me. I'm just going over the PFF big board right now, and I think those are a handful of players that would make sense uh, for the Falcons to take at, at either their first pick or their second pick. Yeah, no, I think that makes a ton of sense as well. Um, yeah, I mean, right now, I, that's that's what tends to happen in most of the mocks that I do is they go for something other than edge in the first round because Tyree Wilson uh, doesn't fall. And uh, then they end up getting an edge in the second round. And you're pretty happy generally with who's on the board there at 44. Uh, yeah. Pretty much universally. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. And then uh, everywhere else that they've made additions, it really opens them up to, to take other guys. Uh, but that's sort of, I think, the right now I would be surprised if they didn't come away with an edge in the first two picks. I think that's the one that they've sort of left the door open for the most. So I agree. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah, guys, he is Trevor Sikama at Tampa Bay Trey. Uh, Trevor, thanks again for coming on. He's at PFF and the excellent NFL Stock Exchange podcast. Anything else you'd like to plug before we, we sign off today? That's it. You nailed it. Uh, it was great chatting with you, Kevin. Always is, man. Uh, appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, well, maybe instead of waiting a whole year, we can get you on after the draft this time. Yeah, we'll at least twice a year. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. We got we to least something Biannual at least, right? So, uh, But Trevor, again, thanks so much for coming on, guys. I'm Kevin. I at Falcoholic Kevin. Uh, thanks for watching Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. Check us out on Twitter uh, at Falcoholic Pod at Falcoholic Live. Uh, you can follow the show 
there. Uh, check out our Patreon if you're interested in supporting. The link is patreon.com slash live, and you can check out our community Discord as well. Uh, if you're listening on audio, leave us that five-star review. Really appreciate that. And hit that beautiful subscribe and like button if you're watching on YouTube. We will be back uh, for more draft coverage and other coverage here on the pod over the coming weeks. So stay tuned, guys. Until then, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Have a great day, folks.